is there any way to know that two people perceive a given color the same way? The color blue. We both identify a particular phenomenon in the world as blue. But maybe your phenomenological experience, what you experience in your mind, maybe your experience is different than mine. So color is essentially the experience produced in our minds by electromagnetic radiation of a given wavelength or range of wavelengths. Let's just take X wavelength. It hits my eye. I see something and I consistently see that same thing every time that wavelength of energy strikes my eye. You also perceive something when that electromagnetic radiation strikes your eye and it's consistent. When other people see that thing, they call it yellow. And so we know that whenever we have that phenomenological experience, we're going to call that thing yellow. But what if in my head, I'm not having the same experience as other people? Is there any way to know that? It would help to know if the phenomenological experience of a particular color is arbitrarily related to the ranges of electromagnetic radiation that cause that phenomenological experience, or if there's some sort of deeper causal relationship. Let me give you an example. Mama and Papa. Lots of languages throughout the world have very similar words for Mama and Papa. Quechua, Mandarin, English. Why do these languages have such similar words for mama and papa? Is there some sort of meaningful relationship between mothers and that word? Well, no, they're arbitrarily related. What happens is ma, ba, pa, those are among the first sounds that infants make. And so what happens is they start making those sounds Mom responds, dad responds, and those words become associated with mom or dad. But there's nothing about those words that is really associated with mom and dad. You know what's weird? It seems like both lines of evidence would point in the same direction. If there is some sort of, let's call it deeper relationship between the phenomenological experience of a given color and the band of electromagnetic radiation that corresponds to that phenomenological experience. Let's say there's some sort of deep relationship between those two things. Well, then we would expect that everyone would have the same experience. If there's something real about the phenomenological experience of yellow that goes beyond my mind, beyond the arbitrary mechanics of the biomolecular chemistry of vision, if there's something deeper than that, then we'd expect everyone has the same experience. You know what's funny, though? It works the other way, too. Let's say it's similar to language. Well, there's nothing about mama and papa that have anything to do with mom and dad, except that, practically speaking, there kind of is. Now, it's not a relationship between the sounds and the phenomena to which the sounds refer. 
But there is this sort of conspiracy of circumstances that causes those sounds to be more likely to become associated with mama and papa, mom and dad. Well, it's probably similar for color. I mean, we're all using the same visual system. Just like the infants are coming up with the same word over and over again, just because the structure of the human mouth or something is such that those particular sounds easier to produce. Well, you'd expect that the same visual systems in different people are going to produce the same effects. Except red, green, colorblindness. There's other types of visual differences, too. So it's not like there's no such thing as people perceiving the world differently in relationship to color. Eyes appeared about 540 million years ago. That's part of that Cambrian explosion. That's when all the different phyla of animals appeared. Well, the first eyes on Earth appeared during the Cambrian period. There must have been something that the organisms of the Cambrian period were building on. But I don't know if we know how far back that goes. So there's something called phototaxis. This is when a single-celled organism has photoreceptors in its membrane, and it uses those photoreceptors to move away or move toward light. So that's probably the earliest permutation of what we call vision. I don't think we'd call that vision exactly. No nervous system, no eyes. But it's a sort of very rudimentary form of vision in the sense that you're using electromagnetism and you're changing your behavior based on, based on what you detected. But all these different eyes appear during the Cambrian period. Spiders have eight eyes. Lizards have a parietal eye. It's basically a third eye in the middle of its head. Scallops have rows of what we, I guess we call eyes. Sea urchins have light receptor cells sprinkled throughout their skin. <laughs> it's almost like their whole body is an eye. There's all these organisms that have eyes. You don't even realize they have eyes or... They have eyes that you didn't know they had. There's lots of variation. Okay, how do we square this really dramatic variation? I mean, in number of eyes, purpose of eyes, structure of eyes. How do we square this variation with the claim that there's an underlying commonality between eyes? Well, it has to do with the photoreceptor molecules. There's something called retinol, which is vitamin A. Retinol is found in the opsins. The opsins are found in the rods and the cones. The rods and the cones are in the retina. That's in the back of the eye. So when the light enters the eye, when it goes through your pupil, it's focused by the lens. What it's being focused upon is the retina, and that's where the rods and cones are. Inside the rods and cones, you have the opsins. Attached to the opsins 
is a molecule called retinol. And all animals use retinol. It doesn't guarantee that all species of animals are perceiving the world the same way visually. But, let's say this. What is green for a human, I bet that it's also green for other animals that can perceive that wavelength. So it's Friday, June 19th, 2020. Joe Biden says he's going to pick a VP candidate in August. I think it has to be a black woman. Now, I got to say, I preferred Elizabeth Warren in the primary. She is who I would have preferred as a candidate for president. So you might think I'd want her as a VP candidate. And I would, except that in this moment, he really has to pick an African-American woman. You can't go from the most diverse field in presidential history down to a nearly 80-year-old white man and a white woman. Val Demings, or I think it's Letitia Jackson. I think Val Demings is a congresswoman, and Letitia Jackson is the mayor of Atlanta. Al Sharpton says he's having a march on Washington in late August. So imagine if he picks his nominee in late August, and it's a black woman. It's going to sort of meld with the news cycle in terms of what we're going to be talking about in that moment. I think that would be smart. You know, especially for Biden. I mean, he's basically, he won the primary because he had a really popular black friend. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's not like African Americans were always excited about Joe Biden. He's run for president before. He didn't get that kind of support from African Americans before that he did in the primary this time around. It was because he was the vice president of Barack Obama. Think of the letdown it would be if he doesn't. I mean, there is going to be... No one will be excited if it's Elizabeth Warren. I won't be excited. I was rooting for her to be president. Right now, it has to be a black woman. One other thing about that, I really hope it's not Kamala Harris. I remember watching that moment in, was it the first debate? (laughs) You remember how bad Joe Biden seemed at first? Remember he said, I'm sorry, my time is up. And everybody made a fuss about that. Like it said something larger about how his time was up or the time of white men is up. It kind of, remember Oprah said time's up or something. It kind of fit with that. But Kamala Harris, I remember watching her just bludgeon him. I mean, it it was just this devastating moment, that whole thing. I was the girl on that bus. And the thing about it is, and this is really why she doesn't appeal to me, it was so hollow. Like, afterward, you kind of thought about it, and you're like, what was her point? So, does she support busing? No. So she has the same position as him on busing? So what the fuck was that all about? It just looked really bad. It didn't have any substance to it. So I don't really know anything. I thought Susan Rice would be a good choice. But it doesn't sound like she's in the the running. Val Demings and Letitia Jackson. I think one of those people is going to be the Vice President of the United States. And I don't think most of us know anything about them yet. White consists of massless particles called photons. 
those photons travel in waves, meaning they don't go from point A to point B straight ahead. They go from point A to point B going up and down. The distance between the crests of waves is called the wavelength. Imagine the photon. It's moving forward, but, you know, it's going down, and then it hits the bottom, and it's going to go up, and then it hits that. It peaks at a crest, and then it goes down, and it goes back up. It hits the crest again. The distance between those crests, that's called a wavelength. All of the photons are traveling at the same speed, the speed of light. 186,000 miles a second. But even though all those photons are traveling at the same speed, they're not going up and down at the same rate. Some photons are traveling in such a way that there's a very short distance between the crests of the waves. Other photons are traveling in such a way that there's a great deal of distance between the crests of the waves. Is this making sense? <laughs> this is so abstract to be trying to convey without an image. The electromagnetic spectrum labels different ranges of wavelengths. On the far left of the electromagnetic spectrum, you have gamma rays. Gamma rays have very short wavelengths, and by the way, that means they carry more energy. As you move left to right on the electromagnetic spectrum, as you start with gamma rays and then you move right toward other types of electromagnetic radiation, are going to grow longer, and the quantity of energy carried by that electromagnetic radiation is going to decline. Okay, so we have our gamma rays on the left. As we move left to right, we have gamma rays, then we have X-rays, ultraviolet light. Then we have visible light, infrared light, then microwaves, then radio waves. And actually, microwaves are considered a subset of radio waves. So radio waves are the longest, they carry the least energy. So that's the electromagnetic spectrum. You'll sometimes see the electromagnetic spectrum represented with radio waves on the left. But at the beginning of the universe, the event at the beginning of the universe was an event of extraordinarily high energy. And that produced electromagnetic radiation. Now, I don't know if it produced it right away or if this is, you know, so many fractions of a second into the existence of the universe, but that electromagnetic radiation was gamma ray radiation. You know what's so cool? Have you ever heard of the cosmic microwave background radiation? It was discovered in recent decades. This is from my lifetime. The cosmic microwave background radiation is this gamma ray radiation. What happened is that Billions of years have gone by, 13.8 billion years ago, and the wavelengths of that gamma ray radiation have stretched out. They've stretched out so much that the radiation is now microwave radiation. But that cosmic microwave background radiation, that was actually, the discovery of that is considered one of the strongest pieces of evidence for the so-called Big Bang. 
what the hell's all this cosmic microwave background radiation doing there if there was not some extraordinarily high energy event so many billions of years ago. So anyway, that's why I think it makes more sense to put the gamma rays at the beginning. There's also the fact that, you know, the radiation is going to dissipate. We went from short waves to longer waves over the unfolding of time. Are there many people about whom you can say you remember the first day you met them? You know what's crazy? I remember the first day I met Cassie Archer. <laughs> now, why is that crazy? It's crazy because we were in fifth grade. <laughs> it was Miss Rosenblatt's class. Miss Rosenblatt. <laughs> I have such a warm memory of her. I used to do this thing where um, we used to have these journals. And I kind of got on a thing where... I wanted to fill up the most journals. <laughs> so I started writing really, really big. And this is what I mean about Miss Rosenblatt. She obviously knew what I was doing. And um, I remember her just like ever so gently. I don't even want to reconstruct it because I won't do it justice. I remember another time she corrected me too. We were talking about um like feet binding in China and I called it weird. I'm in fifth grade. And um she just explained, well, you know, it's another culture, so you don't want to call it weird. It's a special kind of person who can tell you you're wrong, who can say, Hey, can you stop fucking doing that? And you remember them warmly. The school year must have already started because I remember we were in a circle on the floor. I think maybe Miss Rosenblatt sat in a chair and the school year had already started, but I think even like this particular school day had already started. I remember Cassie walking in and joining us. I think I can remember her hair. Fifth grade. Let's say I was 10 years old. I'm 37. So what is that, 27 years? There's a piece of information in my head from 27 years ago about the new girl in class. <laughs> That's so crazy. I guess the connection here is that it's visual information. Of course, it's not just that. But the visual components of that memory, they are in part the product of the electromagnetic radiation that was being reflected off of Cassie, traveling through my pupil, being focused onto the retina in the back of my eye, interacting with the, the retinol that's attached to the opsins to make rhodopsin, I think it's called. You know what's funny? <laughs> you know, I probably remember that first day meeting Cassie in part because I'm a 10 year old boy she's a pretty new girl in class I bet I bet I am not the only 10 year old boy who had a memory 
permanently imprinted on their mind that day. <laughs> Isn't that funny? 27 years later, I bet we could reminisce about the day Cassie joined our, our fifth grade class. <laughs> it's so funny.